0: You have to dive deep into into that deep blue sea that was made by God, mm. uh, because then you'll be able to see and, and resonate with Him more more clearly. And that morning dawn, okay, when the sun rises in the east, there's a reason why liturgically, when we look at the Mass and look at all those different things, mm. um, that there, there's there's an entrance way. You you enter into something when you dive. Nothing else. Will prevent me from reaching you. I want to dive to your love, to your grace." And so they were, they were really struck by that. And I asked them, how many of you dive on a daily basis? And they're like, uh, there's a myriad of answers across the board. But I told them, when you dive that way spiritually, all right, don't do anything else, but just try to reach him. And then you'll realize that he's actually been reaching you already.
1: Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Ron Huntley. Glad to be with you today. It's so fun to have these conversations and to really connect in ways that inspire. We're blessed today to have Dr. Marlon Dilatori with us. Dr. Marlon works in the Archdiocese of Detroit. His title is the director, Executive Director for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship. I can't think of a more exciting topic <laughs> or a more fun person to have this conversation with. So welcome <laughs> to the show, my friend.
0: Ron, it's a, truly a pleasure and a gift to be with you.
1: <laughs> I wonder, you know, how does a man like yourself get to live a life so dedicated to Jesus and His Church? Like, what's that been like for you? How did you engage? What are you excited about?
0: You know, um, our Lord opens a door that you least expect, and you never thought you would you would enter that door freely. And then when you do enter it, He doesn't tell you how much suffering you're going to endure. As you walk through that door and, but he kind of laughs at you, so to speak, or or with a joyful disposition as only he can really my, my journey very briefly, really, it was one, one individual, um, at the small Catholic high school I went to on the border with California and Mexico. And he just had an ability to teach and evangelize that I fell in love with, Hmm. his name was Dennis Jacobelli. He was everything: mentor, guide, teacher, strength coach, basketball coach, theologian, uh, extraordinaire. Uh, he had he introduced me to everything: Chesterton, Belloc Augustine, Ambrose, the Church Fathers. He introduced me to Frank Sheed, Fulton Sheen. He introduced me to these things that, huh? A, a, a teenager that's supposed to be reading this, and he introduced me to apologetics. He 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 taught me a way of viewing the world that uh gives you hope Hmm. versus a world that if you if you take our lord away if there's a devoid of god the the prospects don't look very promising Hmm. uh for eternal life and he uh just opened the door for me and he he was instrumental in my journey uh and that's how i ended up at Franciscan university he uh he told me, go to three particular universities if you want to continue to do this. Uh, he said, University of Dallas in Dallas, Texas, the Ignition program at the University of San Francisco, when it was directed by Father Fessio from Ignatius Press and Franciscan. So I took the furthest point from home. And uh, <laughs> I- uh, Wanted to get some cold weather, did you? Exactly, yeah. I went from, from a, a desert kid to basically realizing that it actually snows in October. Go figure. Uh, and th- that's how the journey really- began and the the prospect of looking at another human being Ron mm-hmm. and being able to look at him or her in the eyes and with a complete open disposition mm-hmm. with with no false face All right, talk to them about hope in Jesus Christ crucified mm-hmm. and to engage them in a way where all right, if you have no knowledge of the faith can I tell you why I have hope and joy And let me tie that into how I I view myself as value as a human being. Mm -hmm. And that value comes from someone. That that value was so enriched and so direct and so nurturing Mm -hmm. that there is a God that exists that I was made in his image and how he viewed me. And that in that image, I have a purpose. I have a mission. I, I have a meaning or an identity that is distinctively divine because I carry that that's distinctively human because he made me in this human form that's distinctively united with his soul. I mean, obviously my soul united with his meaning that I am his son. I will carry for something. And so, and that he was so intimate with me that he made me in this way that there must be a reason for it. And, and th- that was the evolution of me when, when I heard this for the first time where most of us will struggle with seeing value in what we do at one time in our life. Mm -hmm. When, when that notion was dispelled and I see, all right, I see an identity here. Mm -hmm. I see how I can help someone, not for my own volition, not because I need to pad my own statistics or make myself feel good. Um, That that's the antithesis. It's all right. There's someone in need. Do I have the wherewithal has God placed in me the opportunity to help that person? Mm -hmm. And that's part of the, like, there's the, the the pre-evangelization for me. Right. And right. That, that's the, the initial entryway that he gave me something that needs to be shared, not mm-hmm. imposed, but shared. Uh, and that's really what started because my professor opened that door that everybody in some way is in need, but you have to be very careful, very loving and not intentional, but you must be able to be open to the disposition of that person, hmm. so before you can be intentional, you have to understand where the person's coming from, be be receptive to their disposition, understand what their worries are, uh, what their charisms are to a degree, what their oppressions are, because that in essence, in, in essence sets the stage for you to communicate with someone about God. So,
1: thank you for sharing that. I'm just soaking it up, and and I you know I remember years ago. Um, putting my kids, <clears throat> being a good Canadian, of course, you have to yeah. teach your kids how to skate. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so at four years of age, we put my son in skating school, and I mm. found out how much it cost. Mm. It was not cheap. And then I found out it wasn't an hour session, it was only half an hour session. Oh, and I felt completely ripped off. Uh, however, uh, we went. And I saw how they taught, and it was brilliant. You you could have given me that one hour with my kids every week, and they wouldn't Mm. have learned near as much. And so I I guess I say that because their starting point, they took the time to understand how kids learn. They had teddy Mm. bears on the ice. They were drawing with markers on the ice. Mm. They had all these things that I I didn't correlate to teaching kids how to skate. But they understood where the starting point was psychologically for these kids and their development. And they show, they took that knowledge and that understanding, that experience, and they brought it to life. And they didn't, even teach, they didn't even tell the kids they were teaching them how to skate. Learning how to skate was a byproduct of having fun. And right. these teachers knew how to teach. And as I hear you share about the old, your, your disposition your, your identity that you have, and that how you take that into the world, like like that is a missionary disciple. Your mission field, and I'm, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but your mission field literally is is when you get out of bed, whatever's in front of you, and, and the disposition yeah. that you take to your day Mm-hmm. And, and your call and your identity and your sonship reminds me of the, that skating school that I felt like I was paying too much for until I saw it. And then <laughs> that was the best money I ever spent. But you just have a way of getting out of bed that is, is, sets you up to be used by God in ways mm-hmm. that are, are surprising and fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. It's, uh, I would say somebody asked me. I was teaching a group of seminarians because part of my role here is professor for the Archdiocese yeah. of, of Theology and Catechetics and, yeah. and Catholic Doctrine. And so one of the seminarians I was teaching, he asked me, Doctor De Torre, describe to me your prayer life. Mm-hmm. And so, so now all of a sudden you've got this this room full of seminarians. Just immediately there about to pounce on you because they're very intrigued. Because what's a layman to what can a layman offer to seminarians? Mm-hmm. So I told them, all right, gentlemen, um, I dive. I said, I I dive deep. And I wake up in the morning. My day begins at 5 a.m. And before I do anything else, um, I say, good morning, my Lord. Good morning, Blessed Mother. Good morning, St. Joseph. Mm. I say good morning to the Holy Family. I say good morning to our Lord. And that is the entryway to my dive. So, so everything else is blocked. I dive in and I, and I tell them, I dive in for an hour. Mm. And that hour is really uh, going into this cavernous state of um, spiritual intimacy mm. with our Lord, where you try to, as best you can, humanly possible, dispel any distraction. Mm. You walk away from any distraction and you <clears throat> submit yourself to his will. You intercede for those in most need above yours. And you begin to pray. You begin to intercede in in daily, simple conversation. Now, part of that dive, I told them, yes, I do my divine office every morning. I do a chaplet every morning. I do uh, petitions and intercessions for my family. It's all part of the quorum. And then uh, during the week, I'll do at least one holy hour, if not two holy hours during the week uh, as part of that focus. But I I tell them, gentlemen, you have to dive. You have to dive deep into, into that deep blue sea that was made by God uh, mm. because then you'll be able to see and, and resonate with him more, more clearly. And that morning dawn. Okay. When the sun rises in the East, there's a reason why liturgically, when we look at the mass and look at all those different things mm. um, that there, there's, there's an entrance where you you enter into something, when you dive, nothing else will prevent me from reaching you. Yort. I want to dive to your love, to your grace. Mm. And so they were, they were really struck by that. And I asked them, how many of you dive on a daily basis? And they're like, uh, there's a myriad of answers across the board. But I told them, when you dive that way spiritually, all right, don't do anything else, but just try to reach him. And then you'll realize that he's actually been reaching you already. And so that, that's what I shared with him in terms of that, Ron. Um, as, as a disciple, as a missionary, uh, we have to be willing to expose ourselves to the frailties of, of our human nature and where God takes over and says, all right, let, let me lick these wounds from you. And then we'll go from there. So
1: I did a, uh, it was kind of by accident, actually, there not that long ago when I was coaching a group of priests, mm. and I was just asking them a question about, and I, I was trying to prove a different point. I was, I was sure. going in a direction. I said, what are the four most important things if you were to talk to a seminary that you have to get right? Yeah. Uh, if you're going to be a, a, an impactful pastor. And so they said, therefore, and then I thought, oh, well, I'll add to it as well. And so I put mine. in. And then I just asked them to rank themselves on a scale of one to five because I was trying to teach them that that um, how you support people needs to be different based on their skill level in a particular area mm. of, of competency. Mm-hmm. Of course. And so we went through, and one of the things was prayer. And and again, it wasn't the topics that mattered. It was the the principle. And so, but when we got to prayer... Most of them said five, scored themselves five out of ten, and to be honest with you, I didn't see that coming. Interesting. Like, I just assumed that that wouldn't be the case, and it and it, it startled me actually. Uh, it broke my heart and startled me at the same time because the the parish renewal is is you know being a pastor is I'm sure it's never been easy, but boy, it's really 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 hard. And, and yeah. there's a cultural. You know, you, you said early that you know a world void devoid of God doesn't bring a lot of hope, and yeah. and I think to myself, that's that's where these priests are ministering into a, a world devoid of God that doesn't have a lot of hope, correct? And and there's such a resistance to change, which is part of human nature, and it's okay, that's normal, and and not being rooted in like not being not diving like you're talking about they're not putting the fuel in the tank that they're going to need to survive and thrive. And it just, I just thought, "Whoa, Holy cow. Whoops. Have to address that. Didn't know I was going to need to address that. Correct. And it's like, you know, because it's easy to make assumptions, isn't it?
0: All too easily. And one of the biggest, I think uh, I I look at the first letter of St. John and I look at uh, one John one, one through four. If we reflect on that from which the beginning, from which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have encountered with our own eyes, the message has always been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a reason why St. John wrote, wrote that particular, I could say, epilogue, so to speak, or prologue all rolled into one. Because that prologue of that first letter really makes a reference to his gospel. And it makes a reference to the fact that from the beginning, we've all been heard. We were heard by our Lord. He just, he made us in a, in a unique way. And uh, we were heard because his word was always living. And so once he spoke, we, we are created. And uh, so we we can't assume that in any capacity uh, that people are hearing us immediately. We must take the time to cultivate that. And even for these seminarians in particular, they were, they had assumed that they were doing the right thing, meaning that they had they had been conditioned to follow a certain pattern, which you're, which you do in seminary. Right. Yes. And, and, and so they, they follow the pattern well and they're very obedient studious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the seminary asked the question and, and a lot of your example, because, all right, but but what else? What else? It's like, how, how do we, we know we're doing the right thing, but all right, we, we've hit a certain plateau. Where do we go from here? And, and that's very telling. So I'm, I'm glad that happened. But for most of us, we, we tend not to get to the point of what else, because we haven't even begun. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, I guess, the challenge that we face as evangelists yes. um, and as catechists, because um, it's one thing to inspire someone, but if you're not specific as a practitioner to tell them what you're inspiring them to, and then how they can uh, understand and learn from that, then, then we've got an issue. Uh, Mm. so we have to make sure they breathe with both lungs. So,
1: you know, you talk about hitting that plateau and knowing there's more, and and that I think is a lot of people's experience of Mm. their Catholic faith is, you know, they're very faithful to going to mass and doing the things they're supposed to do. And I would say Mm. the number one pain that I hear when I speak when people come up to me afterwards as they say to me, Ron, I did everything the church asked me to do, and all of my kids have left the church.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they don't, it's not like, oh, well, at least I did my job. No, sure. there's incredibly deep pain. And, and I've talked to priests who, you know, do the office every day. They're very faithful to that form of prayer,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: yet they feel so empty inside. Correct. And, and so, you know having those structures are helpful but there's a level of honesty and rigor that I maybe we need to take to hey how are we experiencing this and we will go through seasons of drought spiritually there's no doubt about it what are your thoughts
0: on that you know um once had a group of men i was praying with and I, I may have shared this story with you before, but it's a real a different story. He, one of the gentlemen came up to me and said, um, "I'm having trouble with my son." Took, right? Let's, let's talk about it. This was during the break, so it's a men's conference, uh, local area, about two hundred men, uh, give or take. And so this particular person at, uh, wanted to talk to me afterwards. And so we said, "Well, let's talk during break. We've got an hour plus for lunch. Just let's while, while it's hot, let's not lose the the steam." <sighs> on yeah. this on, on this inquiry so i said well tell me what the problem is like i i, I just don't know how to reach him it's like how old is he he's 16 all right um I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read the right things we're trying to go we're going to mass he attends but he seems to be very despondent and ambivalent he says i don't believe in god and it's like okay so i asked him all right from the very beginning of his birth did he hear from you or your wife uh, the words of God, Jesus Christ? Mm. Did you see images of, say, a crucifix, uh, sacred space, sacred art, anything that would resemble sanctity, holiness, truth, beauty, and goodness? He said, no, not really. He mm. like, is there a crucifix in your home? He said, um, I think there's one. And it's like, okay. Uh, so, And I told him, you may want to put crucifixes in each room for one, just to get you started, so to speak. And I said, do you think that there's a cause and effect – that there wasn't that type of language for him growing up. That now you're asking him to embrace our Lord. He's 16. He's made his first communion. He's already been confirmed. All right. So mm-hmm. he, he's already gone to confession. He's done the sacraments of initiation are all in him. He's got grace. Mm-hmm. Got to activate it, so to speak, figuratively speaking. Mm-hmm. And I and I asked him. So, so, do you think that now he's trying to come up with an idea of? I don't relate to this. I don't understand it, and how can, why is my dad forcing me to do this? Because I just don't see the connection. And I said, could that be part of it? He said, you know what? I never thought of it that way. I never thought that from the very beginning I should have exposed him to these things. I did what I was supposed to do. Make sure he gets his communion. Make sure he gets his confession. Make sure he gets his confirmation. And I asked him, did you ever speak to him or lead him towards the, the sacraments, obviously baptism as an infant, uh, that's on you more directly and your wife. But did you ever discuss to him why he was going to, to this part? It's like, no, I just told him this is what you have to do. Like, all right. So I'm trying to walk him through, see the connection. These have-tos are are beautiful in themselves, but it's, it's like telling a eight-year-old, all right, you know, you see me driving, okay? Well, I mean, tacitly, I expect you to drive just like me at eight years old. He's not going to be able to. He may have an idea, mm. but ultimately he may walk away. He's like, you know what? I can't control this vehicle. I can't even see over the dashboard. Uh, and so he's trying to, he's starting to really, in his mind, he's like, oh, gosh, what have I done? I was like, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm saying there's still time to recover that mm. with him. All right. And I asked him, have you prayed over him? He said, what do you mean? I was like, mm. have you ever prayed over him or with him at night? You know the answer. No, mm-hmm. he hadn't really. It's like, well, we do, we go to Mass, faithful Mass goers, every Sunday. Right? Yes. They, they went to Mass every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, they did all holy days, things of that nature. Uh, when they have a family rosary type thing, they, they would do that on occasion. But all in all, a, a, a faithful family, nothing crazy. But yet, right. this this oldest son, 16, that had five kids, 16 being the oldest, it, it kind of nerved him that the, 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 the child said, you know what? I don't need God not it's not doing anything for him so i told him look begin to have a conversation with your son and don't tell him you're going to pray over him on the spot not yet so you're probably freak you're probably just you may freak him out um i said look talk to him talk to him about what what god means to you tell him about your progression when you first recognized or you saw god in your life Mm -hmm. share that with him and then slowly begin to intercede with for him all right at a separate time. So every night, intercede for him, invoke St. Joseph, mm-hmm. all right? A- invoke his patron saint. His confirmation saint was Aquinas. Mm-hmm. So good one to go to, right? right. And uh, so we uh, so just told him slowly do that for about a month privately, quietly with him. And then we'll see where it goes from there. But don't immediately impose anything on him because he's not ready yet. He's not mm-hmm. prepared to receive that instruction or that witness. Because right now he's trying to discover if this is even – Something that he wants to engage in. Uh, three months past, he called me, followed up with me. I said, How's it going? Uh, he said, You know, I'm 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 a little stunned at what's happened. It's like why? I haven't had a conversation with him, but I've just been praying for him every night. It's like, okay. And what's happening? He actually wants to know more about our Lord. And, and you haven't talked to him about it. No. No, other other than I did it with Jesus I just started interceding invoking his patron saint his guardian angel and just offering up masses for him doing a holy hour for him and all of a sudden it's like yeah isn't that isn't that beautiful and wow. and so I told him your son doesn't realize this but it, now he knows that you have his back mm-hmm. so now I would recommend that you start conversing with him even more because a child needs to know that a parent will have their back across mm-hmm. all elements of faith. And when they know that they will be more open to you and their disposition will be really, uh, they, they will be starving to talk about Jesus Christ. So wow. yeah, true story. Yeah.
1: That's so beautiful. It, it I remember years ago, I was on a, I guess it wasn't that long ago, but I was on a mission or sorry, a ministry trip and, I got a phone call from one of my kids in the middle of mm-hmm. dinner <laughs> they don't call you very often when they get to a certain age so,
0: you're right, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you are right. know they're more
1: <laughs> so independent and and uh so i stepped away from the table because i didn't want to miss this opportunity i got out into the hallway and and i was talking to my child because they had an opportunity to witness um, and there was a priest trying to get in touch with them and hadn't been able to do that and so i just said hey did you follow up with father so and so and they said no and then it the next term was i don't even know if i believe this stuff Mm. and so i'm not going to to um to follow up because i don't want to speak because i don't want to be a hypocrite i'm so grateful that my child told me that and so i said yeah. you know thank you so much for having the courage and the honesty to say that to me because clearly i'd literally do this for a living sure um and we've shared this that their whole life and i just said i love you so much i'm so grateful for your courage to say that to me when we get home let's chat about it because the truth is either Jesus is risen from the dead or he's not. This is true or it isn't. And so if it isn't true, then I'm going to stop wasting my time. And if it is true, then God's more than capable of handling whatever it is you're struggling with. And let's do it together because I love you no matter what. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. And so I think as parents, there might be times where we face that stuff and i love when you said you know the child needs to know that you'll have their back um and we had a wonderful conversation but i think most of it was fixed before i even got mm-hmm. back home sure. because just the openness to be honest and and uh and I, i'm guessing and, and i know we talked a little bit beforehand but you're doing more and more work aren't you in terms of speaking and and conferences and what have you with dads mm-hmm. because i think yeah. we play a significant or we have the opportunity to play a significant role i think a lot of dads play a very insignificant role um and not necessarily because they don't want to but there's probably a lot that goes with that a lot of baggage a lot of shame a lot of mm-hmm. uncertainty a lot of not knowing how what are yeah. your thoughts for dads
0: i think you know the the role of father um i think from different lenses you can say people will argue it's taking a a, a spiritual hit or you had a devalue of the role of uh, of man or masculinity, for that example, or mm-hmm. uh, people look at a father figure as only a uh, a utility mm-hmm. that you need and not really a spiritual guide or a mentor, or that that sense of uh, uh, of patriarch, uh, that sense of uh, mm-hmm. understanding of who, who who this person is as as a father, as a caregiver, as a protector. So it really goes back to really an understanding of, of how a man is to behave. And so a lot of these men that I encounter uh, had some respectable father figures, some had none, mm-hmm. but I asked them a very universal question. It's like, um, how was your example of uh, fatherhood or manhood expressed growing up? So I asked mm-hmm. them, how did, how were you exposed to being a man? How were you fostered, encouraged to be a man? Uh, Ron probably over eighty percent of the time, I get the answer, I wasn't hmm. where they weren't encouraged to to be to be men per se. It was more, well, I'm a man, you're a man, just be a man. That type of thing it's like what what's what what else is there? I mean, just act like a normal guy. So I asked them, how many of you grew up opening a door for a young lady? Right. Maybe twenty percent. How many of you basically would stand up? at the dinner table when a female would come in out of respect or hold the chair mm. percentages were less. So we're talking about this basic human condition of how to serve someone else, so mm. to speak. So, uh, so these little things, these little nuggets are things that I would talk to about, uh, to, to these men's conferences or men's groups or small, small men's groups. Like, where are you in these little things? All mm. right. Before we get into the, uh, to the uh, the alpha aspects of of our masculinity, all right? what what were are these beta things that are really strengthen your alpha to be a true alpha male? And they that doesn't resonate immediately. Right. so so you're you're trying to help them understand that there's a masculine etiquette that actually is naturally given to you by our Lord. It just needs to be woken up. Um and I told them one thing you must learn, gentlemen, uh, for all of you who are married, and I would always tell them this, you married your spouse to give her everything of you and expect nothing in return. Mm-hmm. And that sets a nerve for a lot of them, because I, I tell them they are not to be, meaning your your spouses, your wives are are not predicated on making you feel happy. Mm-hmm. They're predicated on driving you to holiness and to be the authentic man that you're called to be, to protect them to nurture them to be with to, to be that authentic witness of saint joseph all right mm. and so they, they start to percolate these things they start to really um let's say start matriculating in their mindset oh gosh i i, I haven't done this and i tell them i'm not giving you a guilt trip i'm right. giving you an examination conscience on masculinity mm. Have you have you exercised your role as a husband? Do you open the door for your wife? Do you pray for her at night? Do you pray with her, over her? Um, are, are you in tune with what you're reading? Are you seeing things that will distract you from the love you have for her? Mm. And I use that as a solo entryway into pornography for a lot of these right. guys. Okay. So, uh, again, that, that initial pre-evangelization entryway where they become more disposed to what I have to say, once we address the... The reality head on but, yes. but but and so we have to i mean that's we can't just make everybody feel good uh that's um i mean if i want to make somebody feel good all right let's go get a banana split all <laughs> yeah. right i mean that's just uh let's go get a have a good meal somewhere but uh yeah so this has been part of the process with the men that i've worked with and it really helps them just to reflect on their own examination um and i tell them you don't ever allow i want to tell you that it's not healthy to be to be a male to be masculine to exercise mm-hmm. your masculine traits uh that that is part of what you are and who you are the mm-hmm. question is what you do with it and yeah. that that that's the distinction so
1: beautiful well i i think too like you know to make people feel good or to help them be great mm-hmm. i think we're doing somebody of a, a, a better service of helping them mm-hmm. be great than feel good because that's going to pass but Absolutely. being being great boy that's uh that's a worthwhile cause. That's a purpose worth laying down your life for. And, and we need people in our lives who will call us to greatness. I'm thinking back to Dennis, your, your, mm-hmm. your teacher, what grade yeah. would that have been?
0: Oh gosh. When I first encountered him, that was my junior year in high school. Right. And, and that was the perfect time because I'm trying yeah. to find my identity. Um, I mean, grew up nominally Catholic cradle, uh, but mm-hmm. I mean, we went to mass for the most part, sometimes who would miss, but we, we generally did go to mass, but he just, you know what, Ron, you ever come across somebody who just strikes you right between the eyes and basically breaks down every shield that you've put up every wall that you put up. And he sees right through you. And he says, mm-hmm. Haha, not today. Right. I got you." <laughs> um, uh, 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 and um, so this is what he did to me. It's like, I couldn't hide. Wow. I mean, he, he was very piercing, in his demeanor. Um and this gentleman was very intimidating. I mean a staunch Italian was an Olympic weightlifter, a college basketball player himself. You didn't mess wow. with him. Right. So not only could he back it up <laughs> a teaching, um as one one of my high school uh, friends would tell me, you just don't want to tick him off. <laughs> it's like he just and uh, uh, uh. it's like because uh one one way or another he was gonna let you have it. Yeah. But you knew that he had your back see he he genuinely cared for his students mm. um as somebody would say tough love yeah i, I would say more of a um, he saw the human condition for what it was mm-hmm. he knew what he was getting in every class that came into into his classroom through those doors so he knew automatically you guys are going to be stripped bare and i'm going to rebuild you whether you like it or not, because uh, it's just, I'm not
1: asking for your permission. No. You're a bunch of young kids with all kinds of behavior issues mm. and self-esteem issues and all those yeah. other things that every single generation has gone through. And yeah. our role as adults isn't to placate that. It's to, it's to own it in a way that makes people great. Yeah.
0: Correct. I mean, I, I kid with somebody when I, when I mentioned this story about Jake, I said, you know what, just think of them as Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and everything else in between that, that, that is your, your virtual reality. This man would make sure you knew him. And so right. it's like, uh, and before any of that was even paraphernalia for us. Um, that was just, uh, one of the things that we, we dealt with. Uh, it was the human being go figure, you know what a hey, human beings can actually change human beings. Go mm-hmm. figure.
1: <laughs> amen that is that's a really it being an educator is such an amazing like i wasn't academically inclined uh mm-hmm. in school i always struggled i found it hard to get through but i did and mm-hmm. thankfully went on to university thanks to my mom's promptings and uh however the impact certain teachers have had of my life yep. have not been insignificant it's one of yep. the most noble professions if you ask me i know mm. you've spent a lot of time in catechetics like that has mm. really been an area and i'm guessing this teacher would have had a big impact on you mm. what's your what is your like uh, one of the issues that i run into in the coaching that i do in different parts of the world and it's mm-hmm. the same everywhere i go yeah is that you know the school and the church if the church and the school are connected somehow. It seems like a lot of people in the church see that school is low hanging fruit because most of those people don't go to church. Mm-hmm. And yet the educators are so busy trying to live up to all the state and regulatory um, reports and stuff they have to do, plus the education, plus everything else. So they're tanked at the end of the day. They don't have a lot mm-hmm. of extra time and energy. And so we have this disconnect between church and school and nobody wants it nobody that's nobody's that's that's Mm. not a plan it's it's where they find themselves and there's this struggle and this this divide and 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 nobody knows how to bridge it it's 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 it's, I find a lot there's a lot of suffering with the church and Catholic schools these days but yet and yet it's still such an important thing but yet We see that the statistics of people going to Catholic schools Mm -hmm. doesn't—you're no more likely to live out your faith, correct? Whether you go to a Catholic school or not, and and it's like ah, all these time, energy, resources, and I'm I'm, not—I—I'm—I'm at a loss. What—what are some of your thoughts?
0: I think when you look at Catholic education, um, you have teachers of goodwill. But when you go through a formation that really doesn't incorporate our Lord, Jesus Christ, in all facets of curriculum, in all, in all academic disciplines, then how can that be conveyed in the classroom? And then, uh, so that, that's one pillar to, to address is, are, are Catholic teachers formed in a correct Catholic worldview versus a secular one? Because that transmits it to the classroom. A student can sniff out a liar very quickly. I know. And they'll know whether you know or not. And if you don't know, they will basically create a, a, a dissonance away from you. They're, they're, they'll not, they won't hear you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they will hear the person who is living their faith. And the irony is this. When, they, when a student encounters, having been a high school teacher for years and a high school principal, I'll tell you firsthand, when a student encounters somebody who's practicing their faith, you know what they're going to do? They'll do this to that teacher because they know they're living it and they're going to challenge it. Go ahead, teach me. I dare you. They'll dare that person. The one the one that's not teaching or that they know is not living the faith, they could care less. But the one who is, they're like, okay, let's see what you got.
1: I right. dare
0: you to teach me something. I, I, the irony of ironies regarding the human condition. Um, and so, that, that, so that's, that's part of that dynamic. The other with Catholic schools is not just the, the focus on the teachers themselves, but it goes back to my notion of family. When you when you receive a student on a Monday, it'll take a teacher anywhere from 24 to forty hours to deconstruct what they were exposed to over the weekend that's counter to the mission of Catholic education. Wow. So this happens on a regular basis. So by the time Wednesday reaches, you get to Wednesday, they're mm-hmm. open-minded, their disposition works, and it is the best teaching day for a teacher. Ask any teacher. Wednesdays mm-hmm. usually are good because... Um, they're not thinking about what they just were exposed to over the weekend. You've kind of filtered out all that gunk. Thursday hits, they're already looking forward towards the weekend. And so this is this is literally part of the phenomenon. That would be less if the family were to expose the child, their student, their, their, their son, their daughter, to a sense of holiness or sanctity that hopefully is being taught in the Catholic school as a supplement to the primary, which is the mom and dad. All right mm. and that's also being reinforced in the homily at mass. Right. So th- there's there's a huge microcosm mechanism here that has to all be in tune. Mm. All right, you got to be sure that er- all the spiritual oil is is running all the parts in unison to make this work. Mm. If any one of those components is is not working properly, it's going to combust. Yeah. A- and that's that's what we encounter in a lot of our schools either great family support teachers are not as well formed. Poor family support, teachers are well-formed, but bad curriculum or bad formation, but good intention. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a reason for that, Ed. Uh, the effective Catholic schools uh, anywhere in the world place an emphasis really on the condition of the human being first. Mm-hmm. It's not the academic setting. If the person is properly disposed to a divine Lord, and he or she has a conversation that is natural with God. And you, then you can incorporate all the disciplines into that. Mm-hmm. that. That's that's part and parcel of what a Catholic school should do in, in, as an environment. Um, and have, I mean, when I was superintendent, this is what we try to instill in our principals: really right. create the environment first, focus on the human condition. Don't worry about being a blue ribbon school. Don't worry about um, getting this particular grant because you're academically excellent. We get that, but ultimately, it's the salvation of the soul of this child. We've got to make sure that he or she comes out with a fighting chance to stay Catholic. Mm. That, that's, that's part of the aim. So, I mean, that's what I would share with you with respect to really Catholic education in general without being too specific or boring. Yeah, to no, people. it's gold. Yeah.
1: It's really, and, and I want to take my hat off to all the Catholic educators because I know your Please. job's not easy. All of you Catholic principals, thank you. It is a dogfight, and I just am so grateful for the Catholic educators and the principals out there working hard to love on these kids to bring Christ to these kids it's it there's a lot of different challenges and so mm. I, just, I. have uh, All the respect in the world for teachers and principals and educators and 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 even the pastors that are, are trying to figure out how do we do this well, Correct. you know. Because your point is, you know, as families, we have an opportunity and responsibility to engage mm-hmm. with our kids, not just on Sundays by doing the Catholic formula, but no, yeah. to bring Christ to them every day in a way and that's then, that's real. So I love that. It it, it, it is hard. It's it it's yeah. tough. I know. I noticed that you're not only alumni of Franciscan mm-hmm. uh, University of Steubenville, which yeah. is just produces a disproportionate amount of amazing, faithful people, <laughs> um, so hats off to them, but also of uh, University of St. Mary, as well as Notre Dame in Australia, mm-hmm. so I yeah. do a fair bit of work in Australia. What is your connection there, and tell me a little bit about that.
0: Oh, gosh, well... Um, I never planned to get a PhD. It wasn't in my, in my, uh, in my journey. I, I thought, and, uh, the Lord had a different, had a different mindset for me. He said, no, I need you to get a PhD because I I really didn't care for when I was happy with what I had. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he said, no, this is in preparation for uh, the new journey. This is preparation for the new front we're going to face over the next 50 years. I need you to get this degree. So says Lord. Well, if, if I'm going to get this degree, you got to tell me where I need to go, mm-hmm. um, and you got to provide the funding for it as well because they're not cheap. Right. And it has to be really with what I know and do best regarding teaching, doctrine, and catechetics. Uh, being a religious educator, teacher um, for a long time, and through a series of events, I was connected with uh, Dr. Gerald O'Shea from the University of Notre Dame in Australia. Mm-hmm. Who he and I struck a very a wonderful friendship because he's also a fellow educator, a fellow Uh former principal. Uh, So we immediately connected. And this is through a colleague of mine who had told me he was entering this program. And he said, you know, you should look into it and just by chance. And he introduced me to uh, Dr. O'Shea and we hit it off very well. We read the same things, we studied the same things, very similar backgrounds, view of the world. And so he worked with me a year prior to applying for this particular program that um, focused on catechetics, Catholic doctrine, uh, teaching the faith, really. it was. Uh, I was able to, to focus on this area in my dissertation. And he just worked with me. And then we developed a bond and a, and a strong friendship and a rapport as a mentee mentor, but really as a guide for me. And uh, I got accepted into the program. They only give five scholarships per year worldwide. I was fortunate to get one of them. And uh, so I knew right there and then that um, this was meant to be. And even Jared told me if I didn't get the scholarship, he was so determined to find a way because he didn't want to lose me. He said, you need to stay in this program somehow. I said, well, we'll figure it out. Well, God provided the window. And because without that, there's no way to to, to really be able to pay for uh, oh, a degree absolutely. of that nature. Yeah, it's a three year program. So you're, you're paying a good chunk of money. Yes. Uh, so it went well and uh, was able to um, graduate with distinction. Uh, I got the PhD and really more doors were opened. Even after the fact, I was already very active in the church teaching and what yes. have you in the media realm of things, but that opened the door that now I understand what he, what the, our Lord was telling right. me. It wasn't, and I wasn't seeking it Every like all my, all my, all my degrees were because of him, obviously mm. it, it, it wasn't for, I got to get this piece of paper so I can make my name more valuable. No, really it was out of his will saying, no, the time is now I need you to do this now. I was like, yeah. okay, we'll proceed. So that was the genesis behind that run of ending up in Australia. They had the particular PhD program that, that really reflected what I did. Mm. And many of my colleagues in Franciscan who are professors there that I went to school with went through that same process as well. It's wow. just so there's about maybe 10 Franciscan grads who are, are with me in the field or teach in some capacity at the university that actually went through the program. It's a little cohort. So God funneled us that yeah. way. So go yeah. for it.
1: So I'm guessing that was a distance program?
0: It was. So um, I would meet with them over the summers on the campus at Franciscan University, and then yep. everything else was via phone or Zoom. Yep. Um, so it, it just miraculously worked.
1: So have you had a chance to speak over there yet?
0: Not yet. Okay, I, so this I have...
1: podcast is going to change that. You're going to get asked to
0: speak. Okay, not You're going to go
1: home to Australia where your degree is from, and they're going to be blessed by your expertise.
0: Uh, I'd love to. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because the, the, the beautiful crew at University of Notre Australia, yes. I've been able to be exposed. And uh, ironically, um, retired Bishop Peter Elliott uh, was one of my advisors. Okay. Um, So I get to I got to also get to know Tracy Rowland very well, Doctor Tracy Rowland, a a Ratzinger uh, expert and really just very famous theologian. So I got connected with everybody here in in Australia and really, uh, eerily speaking, I say this openly, very natural fit. I agree. All of us together, it was just a natural. The the demeanor, the the uh, the personality, the way the outlook and. Just really a, a joy to be around them, and mm-hmm. I I do speak with Jared every quarter. We still keep in touch. Mm-hmm. I go to him for any advice that he can offer me. Um, but just a dear man, and uh, uh, immense respect for all of them down there.
1: That's wonderful. They really are amazing people. They're they so are. hearty. They have great sense of humor, uh, great desire for faith. Uh, just yeah. amazing human beings. <laughs> Can't they say are. enough about them. The good, um, oh, Doctor Marlon thanks for what you're doing thank you oh, for how it. you're impacting and influencing seminarians uh, mm. fathers families thank you for your passion to work at the diocese of detroit thank you to the people of detroit that uh, yeah. diocese and the bishop that are doing such great work the world is watching you they yeah. are inspired by you guys what you do uh, we're matters. trying we're trying <laughs> mm. so so grateful and and again in the world of catechetics and helping educators yeah. to to push back against this this culture of
0: darkness in a way mm-hmm. that provides yes. hope
1: because with christ man it's a bright future and there's it a is. ton of hope it's the best news ever and
0: you're doing a great i can agree trip. with you more ron it's been an honor to be with you uh, i'm glad we've been able to touch base i look forward to uh future endeavors and gatherings, and I mean, to um, and also to bring you down to Detroit here as well. So uh, we'll time. definitely stay in touch. Thank you, brother. I truly appreciate you're welcome. it.
1: welcome. Thank you so much. And for all you that were watching today, thank you for, for, for following along. We just encourage you, if you're watching on YouTube, to give a thumbs up, to subscribe, or if you're listening on one of the different podcasts, the audio podcast, please leave a comment, uh, give a rating. All that stuff helps ensure that these conversations continue to spread as we do our best as Catholics to inspire, to make others great. God bless you all and thanks for everything you guys do to make the church great. I want to encourage you as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.